0: Well, good morning. It is great to be together on this Lord's Day to join our hearts and our voices to worship our God, our Creator, our Redeemer. And we are delighted to have visitors with us. We're so glad to have you in our fellowship today and you as well can share in this very spiritual, important endeavor that we engage in. On a regular basis. Through the living word of God, the Holy Spirit is seeking to convict the world of truth. The truth about sin, the truth about righteousness, as well as the truth about judgment. This God inspired revelation of the mind and of the will of God has come to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has revealed this divine revelation, the very breath of God by guiding chosen prophets and chosen apostles throughout time as God determined. And therefore, rightfully so, it is described to us, particularly in the book of Hebrews, as the sword of the Spirit. It is sharp. It is able to do amazing things to the hearts and the minds of people. And that's the way the Spirit works through this message to convict the world of truth. Preaching Christ includes preaching about the judgment. If you preach Christ and you don't preach or teach about the judgment, then you have not preached the fullness of Jesus Christ. For example, the apostle Peter when he went to the house of Cornelius there in Acts chapter 10 to teach him about Jesus, he was a devout man uh, who believed in God. He was a good man, very generous and charitable in his interaction with those in the, in his community, but he didn't know Jesus and he needed to come to know Jesus to be saved. And so God sends Peter to his household, and one of the things that Peter very boldly and plainly says and teaches Cornelius is that God appointed this Jesus, who can save you, as judge. So Peter preached it. Paul also preached the same message. For example, later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24 Peter's in prison, and in one of those defenses, as he's speaking there, particularly to a man named Felix, he's the procurator, the governor at the time, you know, under the emperor of Rome, and we are told in Acts 24, verse 25, that Paul reasoned with this man about righteousness, about self-control, and also about the judgment to come. And so, therefore, the sword of the Spirit, the living word of God, admonishes men about judgment. And the purpose of this, to convict the world of judgment, is to produce a turning a change in people's lives. That's the purpose of this. It is not simply to terrorize us, though fear should be struck deeply in our heart. We should be cut by that. But the purpose is to cause a turning to God, a turning to the Lord, to bring about a change in our life. And so therefore, man is accountable. Whether we are a believer or not, Every living soul from the very beginning of time is accountable to his creator and to his redeemer. God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, his laws have always been good and righteous. That was true under the law of Moses. Those laws were good and righteous. And it is still true under the law of liberty in Christ. God's laws are good and righteous. And so therefore, God is the judge. And this is demonstrated throughout the biblical account. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God judged the actions of Adam Eve, and Satan. And because he judged their actions, he in turn pronounced and declared the consequences and the punishments that was due them because of those actions. That's Genesis chapter 3. And then you go further on in the book of Genesis. You look there in chapter 18, when Abram was attempting to mediate for Sodom and Gomorrah, of all places. But he was attempting to mediate for Sodom and Gomorrah because he had family there. And one of the things that he expressed in the 25th verse of Genesis 18, that he acknowledged that Jehovah God is the judge of all the earth who judges justly. Moses taught the same thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, this is at the end of Moses' life. He knows he's about to depart from this world. And Moses reminded that generation of Israel that the Lord will judge his people. Hannah, the mother of Samuel... In a prayer praise, because of the gift of her son, and that's Samuel, because of that, Hannah herself declared the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He's not just going to judge his people. He's going to judge all the earth, as Abram said. He's going to judge the ends of the earth, as Hannah prayed. And so even jump over into the book of Isaiah, as it talks there in the 33rd chapter about the blessings, the heavenly blessings, the spiritual blessings that are found in Zion, God's Zion, and those promised blessings are a sure thing. You can be assured of those blessings. Why? It's because the Lord is our judge. That's why. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's why. And the Lord is our king. Because he is judge, lawgiver, and king, when he promised a blessing, God will will keep his promise. He is just, he is righteous, he is good. And God the Father has appointed the man whom he raised from the dead, he's appointed that man to be the judge of the world who will judge that world in righteousness. Paul in Athens preached this in the 17th chapter. You know, Reading in verse 31 and 32, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Because, why? Why should we repent? Well, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Well, who's that man? As believers, we know that man is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the man that God the Father raised from the dead, and he is, it is he that has been exalted to the right hand of God. It is he that will judge the world in righteousness, because Jesus has the authority to do so. Jesus even taught that in his own ministry as he you know, boldly claimed to be the Son of God. And to claim to have authority and involved in that authority is the fact that he has the authority to judge men, to judge our lives, to judge our words and our actions. And so there in John 5, for example, in verse 22, it reads to us that, let me find my chapter here. Here we go. Uh, not, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. Verse 27, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So man is accountable. And God. man has always been accountable to his creator and his redeemer. And, he, and God has determined that the son now is the judge of humanity. And he's going to judge as we have kind of made refer, reference to over in Acts 10, when Peter is there, is at Cornelius' house, he's gonna judge the living and the dead. No one's exempt. Jesus is gonna judge everyone. And so you see that in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, and he, you know, when he says, "He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testified that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead." Paul writes in Romans, chapter two, verse 16, that he will judge the secrets of men. nothing escapes God. Is laid bare before our Creator and before our judge. And that is why Paul would write and remind the brethren in Corinth that all men will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account what they have done. He says, we must all, not just some of us, but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why is it the judgment seat of Christ? Because that's who God has given authority to judge. He has authority to judge the living and dead. He has the authority to judge our secrets. And he goes on, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. This fact, a fact to come, should or ought to instill in every one of us fear and soberness. That's what it should do. It should cause us to stop and consider our eternal destiny. But in John chapter 16, in John 16, in verse 11, as we have already read, we are reminded here that the Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment, but He's going to do so. And I find this a very interesting statement that the Spirit chooses to share with us that, the, that Jesus spoke to the apostles in that upper room. And He says, He said, the, word, the Spirit's going to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Isn't that an interesting thought? Not only is God the judge of humanity, and and that has been the case since the beginning of time, because he is the creator, he is God, and he's appointed that Jesus Christ, the son, who gave his life for the salvation of souls that would believe in him, is now the judge to whom we must give an account. But he says, I'm going to convict the world of this because I have... Judged the ruler of this world. A divine judgment has already been pronounced upon the ruler of this world. Who is is this? Who is this ruler of this world? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he's described as the prince of the power of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. And so he is one who has ruled in the hearts of those who disobey God. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he is further described as the God of this world who seeks to blind unbelievers so that they will not and do not see the light of the gospel. He's the one who closes the hearts and the eyes and ears to truth. In 1 John chapter five, verse 19, he's described as the evil one under whose power the whole world lies, as we've come to recognize and know, even by the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44, he's the devil. that's who he is. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. The devil is the god of this world. The devil is the evil one. The devil is the ruler of this world, whom Jesus says is a murderer and the father of lies. So we should not be be surprised that the name of the devil, Satan, as described both in Ephesians and Revelation. Is one who deceives and one who wages war against God and his people. But Jesus told the apostles, and through the work of the Spirit, through the apostles, tells us the Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. That judgment has already been pronounced upon him. And God's judgment on Satan, on the evil one, the devil, what does it do? It illuminates the sovereignty of God. That's what that does. It it, it reminds us that ultimately God is sovereign, not Satan. Satan is not sovereign. The God of this world, the prince of the power of the air that works in the sons of it, he is not sovereign. Is he powerful? Yes. Is he deceitful? Yes. Can he entangle you and ensnare you? Yes. But he is not sovereign. Your creator is sovereign. Your God is sovereign. Your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is sovereign. In Genesis 3, you go back to that opening story in the early Days and times of the beginning of this world. And Adam and Eve have been living in the Garden of Eden in peace and joy, taken care of by God, and then they transgress their creator because the serpent of old appears and he lies and deceives and it's believed and sin is committed. But there in Genesis chapter 3, what we find in verse fifteen, verse 14 and 15 is that the serpent of old's downfall and his end was determined and foretold. Even when the first sin on earth was committed, God's sovereignty begins to be illuminated. When he said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all all cattle and and more than every beast of the field. On On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The devil's Downfall has already been determined and is being pronounced here. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, you know, we are reminded by the inspired word of God that Jesus came for the very purpose, yes, to save us, but also he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's part of his purpose of coming. In chapter 2, verse, you know, verse 14, excuse me, that should have been 14 and not verse 4 on the PowerPoint. But in verse 14, he said, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came to make Satan powerless over death. And he has. Because Jesus conquered death. And we have the assurance that there's a great day coming. And it will be a day of resurrection of all humanity of all time. But also, we are told that Satan would be cast out of heaven. Go back to John 12. John 12, verse 33, where Jesus, in his ministry makes this very powerful point. Once again, giving us insight into the sovereignty of God and that ultimately the devil, Satan, the prince of the power of air, the God of this world, the ruler of this world, that he has been judged. In chapter 12, there in verse 31, (laughs) Jesus says to us, now judgment is upon this world, Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. He will be cast out from where he has been. But then finally, in the end of time, he will be cast into hell. In Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus is teaching about judgment, and how man is accountable to God, and how there will be a judge between those on the right and those on the left, and there will be different consequences that will be experienced by those different sides. But in verse 41... Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. It is already determined And it was determined from the beginning of time when that first sin was committed by man. The wrath of God, the just wrath of God our Father, ought never to be dismissed as if it's some joke. It's not. The world makes light of it. The world makes light of the fact that there is a powerful adversary against God and his people and mankind. Who seeks destruction and imprisonment of those who are made in the image of the creator. The world makes lights of that. May you never do that. But you never make light of the just wrath of God because, as the Hebrew writer says, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's a terrifying thing. Terror should be struck in your heart. We sometimes talk about the definition of fear and how fear involves reverence, and it does. And we need to fear God with that sense of reverence and awe. But in Hebrews chapter 10, that's not the point, is it? (laughs) The fear he's talking about here is a fear that creates terror in your heart to know what the consequence could be if you are not right with God. God's outpouring of his wrath a wrath that has been recorded throughout the biblical account that we read in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. This outpouring of God's wrath within time confirms, and reminds us that this promise of a coming great and dreadful day of the Lord is real. It's real. And we don't need to forget that. And we don't need to be ashamed to remind unbelievers that it's real. You may not believe it, but it's real. And we should not be ashamed to say that, that there is a judgment of humanity by their creator and their God. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 6, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, it says, The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's not maybe <laughs> that you might reap corruption if you sow to the flesh. No, he says, If you sow to your own flesh, and that's your life, and there's no change in your life to turn that around, he says, You will you will reap corruption. In Colossians 3, Paul reminds the brethren there that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. What is the disposition and what is the rule of the sons of disobedience? Well, it's the prince of the power air working within them. As he gets them entangled, but the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. Is he going to judge Satan? Yes, he's already judged him, and that's determined. What has happened, what's going to happen to Satan? In the end, he will be in hell. That's where he'll be. It was prepared for him. But who else is going to feel the wrath of God? Those who live lives of disobedience against God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution. That's a strong word. We don't use that a lot every day. But the Lord's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that this is going to happen? Because Satan has already been judged. That's how we know. He's convict of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. That judgment assures us of the certainty of this coming judgment. In first, first Peter, excuse me. First Peter is it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. God's people are not exempt from judgment. We will be judged like everybody else. And he says, and it will begin with us, the house of God. But he goes on to say, and if it begins with us first, what will be? What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Implying that their outcome is not good, it is terrifying because the wrath of God will be poured out upon sin and disobedience and rebellion and unbelief. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing. But know assuredly that God tells us this, and God is telling the world this, because God wants you and me, and all that will to repent and be saved. That's what God wants. The judgment that is revealed in the scriptures is to admonish us. It is to prick us, is to cause a change in our life. Because ultimately, that's what God wants. God wants us to repent. God wants us to be saved. And that is why God is still Being to this second patient with humanity. Being patient toward all of us in this world. Because he does not wish for any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. But as Jesus says in Luke 13, unless you repent, what's going to happen? You will perish you will perish if you don't repent. But that's not, what God doesn't, that's not what God wants you. God does not want you to perish. That's why Jesus came, not only to be the judge, and rightfully so, and a just judge, but also your savior and your mediator and your advocate to help you live a life of faithful submission to God and to him. Romans 1 says that God's word, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We know that verse. But you have to believe. It's not not going to save those. It's not going to powerfully change people's life if they do not believe it and act in faith toward that. But we can know assuredly, we can be strong in our faith, as Paul writes in Romans 5, having now been justified by his blood, those who have been made just by the blood of Jesus, those who have been reconciled back to their God by the blood of Jesus, those who have been sanctified to God by the blood of Jesus, those individuals, he says, we shall be saved. Saved from what? What do we need saved from? Saved from the wrath of God through him. Salvation is only in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is the blood of Christ that makes it possible that our sins can be propitiated and atoned and washed and we can be forgiven. Our blood can't do it. Our blood is stained. But Jesus' blood is pure. And he's the perfect lamb. And he is God's lamb for you and for me. And so therefore, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of day. Does God want you to be able to face the Judgment day with a confident faith, with a confident expectation of a home with Him in heaven? Yes, that's what God wants you to have. That's why He sent Jesus. He wants you to be fearful of the wrath that we poured out upon disobedience. But he wants you to have confidence. He wants you to be assured that you have a home prepared in heaven with Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say in that same epistle, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We've got to live a life for him. We have to do our best to live a life of obedience and not a life of disobedience. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ because there is no other Savior. There is no other Lord. There is no other Christ. He is the one, and he alone gives you access to your Father, your true Father. He alone gives you access to heaven, your true home, Jesus is the one. And in the Great Commission, as recorded by Mark, he said, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. There is assurance and confidence in that statement, but you've got to act on that. But the other side of that is, if you don't, he who has disbelieved, the one who does not believe this and act on it, shall be condemned. The Holy Spirit is trying to convict us of judgment. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, as the apostles were preaching Christ to the city of Jerusalem, they commanded those who were pricked in their hearts by the message to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Will you do that today if you've not done that? Will you be convicted by the Spirit that there's a judgment coming and the only way to spare yourself from the wrath of God is to submit to the only one who can save you. But you have to believe it. You have to believe that for yourself. Be convicted of the evidence. Be convicted of the truth. And know... That if you by faith repent of your sins, and you have sins in your life, and with that repentance confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and that He died on the cross for you, and was raised up from the the grave on that third day, with a confession, with confession of the mouth, you will be saved. And then be buried with him in baptism, immersed with him according to Christ's command, he says, you will be forgiven and you'll be raised up now a new man because of the power of Jesus in your life. Will you do that today? Will you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved from the wrath to come? If you have done that, Maybe there's sin in your life that you've not corrected with your Father and with your Lord and Savior. We're going to help you with that, praying with you, praying for you. We invite you, encourage you. Please come forward, make your wishes known. When we stand to sing the song that's been selected.